part two of our mini-series called Influence. And so um, last week, Pastor Todd talked about changing the world, how we can change the world. And he said three things that we must remember. One, we must remember that we are the church, not to forget to let our light shine. Don't forget where your light comes from. Of course, our light is not our own. It's, it's from Jesus. And don't forget the objective. The objective is to to help lead people into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. How many of us in here are thankful someone shared the gospel with us, prayed for us, influenced us, right, to be where we're at today? Then he said, I must remember that I am the sermon. I am the sermon. Uh, And not that you go around always preaching a sermon, but that our life is a sermon. Somebody said, preach the gospel always and only use words when you have to. Our life should be the sermon. The way we live every day, at work, when we're playing, when we're, when we're, wherever we are. Pastor Todd told that story last week, how the guy that was at work and he was fluffing off and getting there late and his life wasn't preaching a good sermon. And you remember he went to the Christian boss and, and the Christian boss called the, the Christian in there. was like, man, you know, you, you messing me up here. I'm working hard to lead this guy to the Lord, but your work ethic is not preaching a good sermon. So when you go to work tomorrow, remember, when you get there on time or early, that's preaching a sermon. You're preaching your first point at the time you clock in in the morning, right? So our life, wherever we're at, at the gym, whatever we're doing, uh, at, at the Paul Park, you know, whatever it is we're doing, our life has to preach the sermon. It's our life. We're going to talk about that more today. Then he said, I must remember that I am the preacher. Now you might say, well, Brandon, I'm not like y'all. I'm not a preacher. I don't know how to put together a sermon like y'all do. Well, you can share your story. Every one of us has a story, right? Pastor Ty talked about that last week. I, in our Next Steps class that you hear about, it's class four today. I teach class two, and I talk about that. I talk about how you can be more influential. And we, the, the, I always say you can share your story. And I always share my story, and it, it takes about a minute. The Reader's Digest versions. I say you don't have to know all the scriptures, all the Bible. You don't need to know th- systematic theology. But you can share your story, as Pastor Todd said, of what your life was like before Christ, how you came to know Christ, and how your life has been different since Christ. Right? We can all do that, right? Everybody has a story. And let me just add this to it. When you share your story, it helps give people hope. And it helps people to relate that like, man, you know, they read about God, they hear about Bible stories, but when they hear your story, they can read how Moses did all these incredible things and that's great. But when they hear your story, they say, well, man, it's, you know, I'm dealing with that same thing. When I tell people about my, my past with drugs and alcohol and whatnot, and when I share my story from, from up here, from the stage, I've had people come up to me and say, man, I, I, I could relate to that. I'm struggling with addiction right now. And when they see me and they know somebody in real life that God has changed from a drug addict and alcoholic, from being depressed and lonely with no direction in my life to being where I'm at today, it helps you to be relatable and to give people hope. And we'll talk about that some more as well today. So today I want to, part two is entitled, Increase Your Influence. I want to give you four ways of how you can increase your influence. So let's go, let's start back first though where we started last week. Jeremiah 15, 19. He says, you must influence them. Do not let them influence you. Now who was them that the Lord was talking about? Well, verse 17 tells us. First, let's look at 16 real quick. This is Jeremiah. He says, when I discovered your words, I devoured them. They are my joy and my heart's delight. For I bear your name, O Lord of heaven's army. This was Jeremiah speaking and he was saying, you can see here how much he loved the Lord and he loved God's word. But look at verse 17. He says, I never joined the people in their merry feast. 
I sat alone because your hand was on me, and I was filled with indignation at their sins. The people the Lord told Jeremiah to influence was those that were living in outright sin or had turned their backs on the Lord. And if you read in the history of Israel at that time, of course, they knew the Lord. They knew God personally, but they started turning their backs and living in, in rebellion and sin. And so the Lord is telling us today, just as he was telling Jeremiah, those that are uh, don't know the Lord, that have, have, have never walked with God, have never accepted Christ as their Savior, have never surrendered as we were singing and praying, or those that have maybe known the Lord and had faith in Him and walked with Him at some point, but have turned their backs on Him. That's who the Lord is calling us to influence. Do you all agree with that? Even if you don't, it is true, though. That's what the Word of God says. So again, today I want to give you four ways to help increase your influence. And they all come straight from Colossians 4, the two verses, verses 5 and 6. The Apostle Paul, speaking to the Colossians, says this, Live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. Let's go ahead and pray over the rest of our time in the Word. Father, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, for those that have influenced our lives, those that have loved us, prayed for us, and spoken the truth of the gospel into us so we can be where we are today, Lord. We know this is all because of you. We give you all the glory and the honor for it. Now, Lord, help me as I present your word today that it would be clear, that it would be accurate. And, Lord, help us all to increase our influence. As we hear your word, may it not only be words we're hearing in our ears and in our minds, but it would go down in our heart and our spirit. And give us the grace to live it out, that we can be more influential. Even today when we leave here at church, when we go out to the restaurant or wherever we go today and this week and the weeks ahead, the months ahead, may we influence people. May we not be influenced into negativity or into sin, but may we influence others. Father, I pray to a saving relationship with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So number one. The number one way you can influence your, your, increase your influence is by living wisely as a balanced believer. Living wisely as a balanced believer. Now, there's many ways we can talk about wisdom. We can talk about how to live wise and many different things. And I'm going to hit on one here and then later I'm going to talk about another one. But I want to focus on one crucial. And it comes down to being balanced. And what I mean by that is that, you know, once we give our life to Christ, we experience his forgiveness and begin to walk in his grace. We're responsible for sharing the good news, the gospel, which means the good news with everyone, no matter who they are, and listen to me, how different they are from us. We must share the gospel with everyone, no matter who they are and how different they are with everyone. Listen, I understand we all have a natural tendency to uh, be drawn to people that are like us that are interested in the same things as us, that maybe look like us or have the, maybe the same educational background or same uh, you know, financial status as us. But the Lord calls us to be a light and to be influential to everyone. This responsibility means that we need to balance the truth of God's standards in his word with the reality of his loving acceptance and life-changing grace. What do I mean by that? Well, I've seen, and I know it's, 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 it's very true that, you know, in, in, in these days we live in, it's hard to balance those two. Some people will go all the way to one extreme and 
anything that is that is not of God, anything that that is sin, that is that is uh, uh, maybe something that we've come out of, that something that the Bible tells us is sin or unholiness or or something we disagree with, we shut ourselves off from from that or those people. We isolate ourselves and said, I don't want to have anything to do with looks, sounds, or smells like ungodliness or unsaved people. That's one extreme. The other extreme is is that we try to reach people and try to uh, share the gospel with them, but in the process, we compromise our own convictions, our, our, our biblical standards, what the Lord says is sin. What the Bible calls sin is still sin today, no matter how much culture changes, right? And that's what I want to share with you in this point about being balanced, is that the culture is going to continue to change around us. It's going to do that. But the Lord is calling us to live wisely and to be balanced of not going to one extreme or the other, but actually doing both. Standing firm and loving people and accepting people are where they at at the time. Jesus modeled this just like he's done everything else for us perfectly. Anytime you see Jesus interacting with non-believers, you see this. And the greatest example is in John chapter 8. And it's a story when the Jewish leaders had caught a woman in the very act of adultery. In the very act. They, they pulled her uh, from the very act. They brought her to Jesus. They confronted Jesus and said, Jesus, she is supposed to die under the law of Moses. Her penalty is death by stoning. What do you say we should do? Let's pick up the story in John 8 verse 7 says this. They kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was, was, Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. Now listen to Jesus' response. Neither do I. Go and sin no more. That's a perfect example of, of, of what we're talking about, of the balance. Jesus didn't condemn her to, to die for her mistake. He, he wasn't staunch like the religious leaders. He didn't just say, yeah, you messed up and, and now you have to die. You have to be stoned according to the law. No, no. He extended grace to her, but he didn't let her off the hook either. He said, go and sin no more. So this is a good example of not condoning sin, but at the same time, not condemning the sinner. Are y'all tracking with me? Jesus gives us a perfect example of the balance of how to be more influential in non-believers' lives. I love his response there. Jesus avoids the extremes of either or by displaying both love and righteousness. And we can do both. We can extend love and acceptance and grace to people and still hold to the truths of biblical righteousness. You know, Jesus was made up of the perfect balance. John 1.14 says this, We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. I love that scripture. He wasn't out of whack on either one of those. He had a perfect balance full of both. He wasn't half and half either. It says he was full of grace and truth, right? And we see that, and that's why he was able to respond just eight chapters later in John with this woman. See, the Lord has given us the wisdom through his spirit to have the same balance. Y'all believe that? 
I believe we can. I believe we can have the same balance and not compromise biblical truths and standards, our own personal convictions, and still love people well, still help people. Again, I'm reminded of the scripture that it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. It wasn't, when I got saved, it wasn't the people that were hard on me and condemning me and telling me that I was going to hell that's the reason why I got saved. No, it was people like my mama that just kept loving on me and praying for me. And when I come to this church, when I was lost like a goose in high weeds, like Pastor Todd says, people would just love on me. And I remember coming in here high as a kite and thinking like, man, they all know what I'm doing, you know? And they might have, I don't know. But, you know, every, people would just love on me. And I never felt condemned when I walked in this church. I never felt like I was an outsider, even though I was. It was the kindness and the love of people. And that made me think, man, I, I want what they have. You know, but people living around me, like my mom and like my brother, when he gave his life to Christ, they didn't compromise either. But you know what? Let me, let me say this. I didn't even say this at the first service. That's part of why I wanted what they have. Because they were unwavering in what they believed. See, that's another thing, is that if we waver back and forth from that line and, and get to be too much like them. And, and people, people don't want wishy-washy. If they know what we believe is what we believe and, and we're, we're kind about it, we're loving about it, and this is the truth of the word of God and this is how I'm living my life, people are attracted to people that are firm in what they believe and that are unwavering. Amen? Pastor Chris Hodges, pastor's Church of the Highlands in Birmingham, Alabama, he says this, truth without grace is mean. Grace without truth is meaningless, but grace and truth together are good medicine. I like that. I like that. Grace with truth is good medicine. Pastor uh, Brady was telling me, we were talking about this, and he gave me another illustration. He said, you know, truth without grace is like surgery without uh, anesthesia. Anyone I want to have a major surgery without a, with a, you know, anesthesiologist coming in the room and, you know, numbing everything first? But he said the opposite is true, too is that all grace and no truth is like saying you don't need surgery at all. All of us have a, a soul disease, and it's called sin. And that's where we're at. We, we're born into sin. All of us have that. And, and we, like a surgeon that can do what he did for Lawrence and have a, a bypass surgery and open up his main artery in his heart, uh, or like someone that has terminal cancer, and they find a, the cure or, or the, the, the right chemo to help knock it out, People we are walking around all around us that have a soul, a terminal soul disease, an eternal disease called sin, and we have the answer, right? But the way we present it, it, it makes all the difference. So again, we need to have that balance. There is a way to love and accept people without compromising our convictions and biblical beliefs. Here's a few tips how. When someone disagrees with you or wants to start a debate, because have you noticed the more we go down the road, that a lot more people are very contentious and like to debate, debate and argue, whether it be face-to-face -face or online. Have you noticed that or is it just me? Like you can't get on, on, online or hardly talk to people about anything without them wanting to maybe argue or debate. So when someone disagrees with you or wants to debate with you, don't try to prove your point at all cost. The goal isn't to prove that you're right. The goal is to have influence. Let me say that again. The goal isn't to prove that you're right, even though you know you're right, and that might be fine. But listen, if you win the debate and lose the person, you haven't done what God's called us to do. You might walk away and say, man, I was right. I proved the point too. I got him with that one. But guess what? They might be closed off to the gospel now. Even though you know you're right, it all has to do with presentation. Remember the goal, we, you know, of this whole two-part sermon 
is to help us to increase our influence. It's to, to show where we may be lacking or where we can increase our influence to help others. Listen, being right and being righteous are not the same thing. Being right and being righteous are not the same thing. Remember, the goal is to have a Christ-like righteousness in our life. It's not always about being right and winning the argument. As I said earlier, try to relate with others, especially those that are different from you. I love the scripture. Paul says that I try to become all things to all men so I may win some. The New Living Translation says it better. I try to find common ground with everybody so that I can win some. If people are different than you, if they look different than you, act different than you, they're into different things, listen, try to find common ground as much as you can. It reminds me of whenever I was a youth pastor and there was this, there was this kid I'd never seen before he came to youth service one night. And uh, you know how young teenagers are, especially parents even, you know, you get, you know, your kid might get home and, and you say, hey, how was your day? Good. What did y'all do? Nothing. What's going on? It was like that. Like I kept asking this kid, like, hey, man, what you, what's your name? John. How old are you? 14. What school you go to? Laugh at how. It was just like one answer. I'm just like, man, I'm trying to, trying to find common ground. So finally I noticed he had some vans on. And I said, hey, man, you skate? And he lit up. He said, yeah, I do. I was like, really? Where are you skate at, man? What kind of board you have? And just I found common ground, and he, like, opened up, you know? We need to do the same thing. We need to try to relate to people, try to find some kind of common ground. Paul said, listen, I don't care if they're educated, non-educated, whether they're Greeks or Romans or whatever. I try to find common ground with everybody so I can influence them, right? And, of course, serve those in need willingly and graciously. You know, we have a world of selfless people all around us. Whenever the body of Christ is willing to serve others just because, just because we love them, that makes an impact on people. You will, listen, the Bible says that your gift will make a way for you. And sometimes your gift is not money or a material thing. It might be serving somebody. It might be willing to help somebody in a time of need or just noticing that somebody needs something and you help them out. So again, to be balanced and avoid either extreme requires humility, compassion, and dependence on the Lord. It's not easy, right? I'm not saying that this is going to be easy or that it is easy. But you know what? I believe that we can only reflect who God truly is, both in his holy righteousness and his gracious love by relying on the Holy Spirit to guide us. Amen? Number two, we must make the most of every opportunity. Colossians 4, 5 in the Amplified Version says this, make the most of each opportunity, treating it as something precious. You know, each opportunity we get to influence people, people are a precious one is a precious one, right? We don't always get opportunities to influence people. You know, there's times where you can go up and you can share Christ with people, but people are maybe not open. They're not receptive. There's other times where people are more open and receptive to the gospel where you have an opportunity to be able to share God's light and love, right? I used to tell the students, again, I remember this as a youth pastor, that I would always tell them, man, look for an opportunity Look for an opportunity to be able to share Christ with people. If they crack the door open, I would say kick it open. Kick it wide open. Not forcefully in our words and our behavior, but like in the spiritual realm. Like be alert and be aware of when you're talking with people. If you're in relationship with people and, 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 and open yourself up to, to realize that, listen, there's only a certain amount of opportunities. And the Bible says that each and every one of them are precious. Matter of fact, that, that phrase in the original language, make the most of every opportunity, literally means to buy up the time. It means buy up the time. Like if something that you really liked, uh, a, a product 
whether it may be, say, some kind of food or, or I don't know, whatever, something that you bought often, if it would go on sale for like half price, you know, you would run to the store. Most people run to the store and try to buy up as much of that stuff as they can, right? You ever saw those sales and it's such a good deal, they say like limited to four per family or something, right? That's the picture that the Apostle Paul has given us right here, that we want to try to buy up every opportunity that we have to influence people. Again, we can do this through our words, our lives, our serving, and the way that we relate to people. We must make the most out of every opportunity. You know, I, missed, I quoted uh, Pastor Chris earlier and, um, in his book uh, called The Daniel Dilemma, which I recommend, by the way, and he's, he's speaking on, on this topic. It's called How to Lo- Stand Firm and Love Well in an Ever-Changing Culture. He talks about that. He tells a story that he was leaving his, you know, where he, he's at in Birmingham, Alabama, and he was flying to Boston uh, to preach at a friend's church on a Friday night. He had a connecting flight in Cincinnati. So when he got on the flight in Cincinnati, he said, man, I had one thing on my mind, and that was to take a nap. It had been a long week. I wanted to just get to my seat, take a nap, recharge my battery so I'd be ready to preach uh, that night. So he said he gets there. He's got the window seat. He snuggles up with his pillow, and he hears the guy that was sitting next to him shoving his luggage in the overhead compartment. He, like, threw his coat over, you know, the seat and kind of hit him in the face with the arm of his coat. You know, and he said he had, you know, Pastor Chris had claimed half of the armrest. He said the guy sat down and knocked his arm off of the armrest to, like, take his his spot. And he said, at that point, I still, he said, I had my eyes closed because I didn't want to talk to anybody. I wanted to just sleep. He said, then finally, when he elbowed me in the ribs, he said, I opened my eyes. He said, I looked over at the guy, and he said, what do you do for a living? And Pastor Chris says, and I can relate, anytime you tell someone you're a pastor, one or two things usually happen. Either somebody wants to debate you on a certain issue, or they want to tell you their life story. So whenever Pastor Chris said, well, I'm, I'm a pastor in Birmingham, Alabama, he said the guy just broke down and started sobbing and weeping. Like one of these, you know, like snotting kind of ugly cry. You know what an ugly cry is? It's kind of one of those. Like he said, everybody on the plane knew that the guy in 23B was crying. So the guy begins, and, and Pastor Chris was like, hey, man, what's going on? What's your name? Told him his name, Billy. Billy, why are you crying? What's going on? He said, well, I just buried my best friend here in Cincinnati. He said he went, he bent down to pick over, pick up his little girl, and he had a massive heart attack and died. And he's like, I'll never see my friend again. So Pastor Chris starts ministering to him, trying to encourage him. And he said, he, he shared 1 Corinthians, uh, 1 Thessalonians 5 about the hope of the resurrection. And this guy, true story, this guy says, oh, man, I don't want to hear none of this Bible, that Bible stuff. He said, I'm Jewish. And Pastor Chris said, well, that's okay. He said, Jesus was Jewish too. And the guy said, oh, really? Okay, you can continue on then. He's like, I'm not making this stuff up. The guy really responded like that, you know. So Pastor Chris begins to tell him what it meant about the hope of the resurrection. And the guy asked him this question, how can I get that same kind of hope? This was his words. He said, he just teed up the opportunity for me. He said, so I presented the gospel to him. And actually, when they walked off the plane, Pastor Chris was like, man, I, I, was, I was upset that I didn't have more time to kind of close the deal. And we had to go, you know, our separate ways. But the guy, he gave him his card. He said, hey, man, call me, and we're going to talk about this more later. The guy wouldn't let him go. He said, wait, wait, hold on, man. How can I give my life to Jesus? You can't leave without telling me that. And so he said, man, well, let's pray right now. The guy grabbed Pastor Chris's hands, and he led him to the Lord right there in the airport. Amen? How many of y'all would say he made the most of that opportunity? So not only did he make the most of that opportunity, but he said two important lessons he learned from that story. And I'm going to quote him, so I'm going to read it. I'm going to quote Pastor Chris and what he said. He said, first, this life is not about me. 
My priority of napping couldn't compare to what Billy needed. He was hurting and had lost his best friend. He didn't need anyone arguing theology with him or comparing Judaism to Christianity. He needed an ear, someone willing to listen and care about him and his grief. That's the first lesson. Our priority sometimes is different than what God's priority is, right? How many of y'all was, I bet he was, know that he was glad that he didn't take that nap. And, and I've been in situations like this, and I know he had more energy to go preach that night than if he would have slept on the plane after just ministering to this guy and leading him to the Lord. The second thing he said he learned was, I was reminded that my purpose as a follower of Jesus is to give people hope. People are ready for God, but they want hope, not a debate. This is where we have an opportunity, right? People are looking for hope. They're look, matter of fact, Rick Warren says that every single person has like an antenna in them, kind of like searching out for God, whether they know it or not. And the way that, that we maximize our opportunities are, are going to uh, reflect whether these people hear the good news or find God or not. And you might think, well, that's, is that biblical? It is. Because in Psalms, it says that God has placed eternity in the hearts of every person. And no matter how much a person suppresses the truth, of, of the true and living God and that he created them, has a plan for them, it's deep down inside of them. And everything, every religion, everything they try, they'll never be truly satisfied till they find God. So I believe people really are searching for the Lord. Sometimes they just don't know it until they interact with influential people like me and you, right? So make the most of every opportunity. Be looking for him. Be ready and remember that the priority might be to talk to that person, love on that person, instead of maybe what else we're doing in that moment of that day. Number three, have compelling conversations. Have compelling conversations. Colossians 4, 6 says this, let your conversation be gracious and attractive. The word attractive literally means seasoned with salt. Down here in South Louisiana, we don't like too much food that's not seasoned with something, right? How many of y'all, how many of you ladies loved the crawfish last weekend? You know why? Because it was seasoned well, right? If they would have just dropped that crawfish in plain old water and served them to y'all, y'all probably would have been throwing them back at us, right? Everybody's attracted to, to good food that's seasoned well, right? Well, we are down here for sure. See, salt is both a seasoning and a preservative. Pastor Ty talked about this last week when he read from Matthew 5, 13, where Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. See, as Christians, we must speak to unbelievers in well-chosen and appealing words. That's why Jesus also says to be as cunning as a serpent, but as gentle as a dove. And in a sense, we have to be crafty on how we speak to people. We have to be appealing from what we say. And listen, the Lord will give us the words. And this is, this is not my opinion. This is what the Bible says, right? Have gracious and attractive speech. And I can tell you why that's important. I'll give you an example from my own life before I was a believer and how this doesn't work or works in a negative way. I had somebody that was very close to me that was, that was trying to witness to me and be a light to me and trying to influence me to come to Christ before I knew the Lord. And I began to tell this person that I was starting to read my Bible. And his response to me in a very harsh way was, well, reading your Bible is not going to get you saved. How many of y'all know that it wasn't that appealing to read my Bible again after that? Those words, I was like, okay, well, man, I, I'm doing what I know how to do. I'm trying here. But guess what? You know what? If that's not going to help me, then I'm going to stop reading the Bible. The way he, I know he meant well, and I know that. He was saved, and he was a new Christian, and I know he meant well, but those words wasn't seasoned with salt. They wasn't attractive or appealing to me. 
Now, thankfully, later, you know, both him and other people kept loving on me, praying for me, and I gave my life to the Lord. But the way that we speak to people, the way we present things, again, and, and let me tell you, I'm not saying compromise the truth of the Word of God. The, the Word of God is still the Word of God. The standards that the Word of God has set, the way to be saved, there's still only one name under heaven by which can, men can be saved and women, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ, right? One God, one Creator, the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. We believe all that, but again, it's how you present it. It's how you package it. I can remember my dad telling me this as a kid, and my wife telling me this today. You ever heard somebody tell you? I was like, man, what did I say? All I said was this, and they said, it's not what you said, it's how you said it, right? I've heard that multiple times, and it's the truth. That's really what Paul's saying. What we saying should be the same thing. It should be the truth of God's word. God's love, we've all sinned, fall short of God's glory, the gospel, Jesus came to die for us, but it's how we say it, how we present it. Have compelling conversations. You know, the rabbis in biblical times would occasionally refer to wisdom as salt as well. So the apostle Paul was encouraging Christians to speak wisely. Point one was to live wisely. Part of living wisely is speaking wisely, right? Now listen, nowadays, again, it's like where we started. I'm going to tie in something I asked you to do. And uh, nowadays we speak with our fingers and our thumbs probably more than our mouths now, right? I heard somebody say if the, if the young generation cut off their thumbs, they probably wouldn't, couldn't communicate anymore. So we communicate, right, with our words on a screen with our thumbs. We all are, not just the younger generation. Look, I have my phone in my jacket, right? We, that's, we, we email, we text, we're on social media. So be careful and gracious and make sure that your words on social media are attractive and compelling as well. Because listen, people will revert back to what you said and they can actually go back and reference what you said. Now I know you can delete comments and all that, uh, but you know what? Especially text and email, once you send it and you hit send, it's gone. And they can reference back. So let me go back. Also, which is another big place of contention is the comment session on online news articles and whatnot. You ever read those article, those comments in the, in the, 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 the those articles? The comment section pretty soon is just like, oh, that's great, this and that. Four or five down, it's like World War III on the comment section. So be careful. So let me ask you a question. Those of you that just promoted our Easter service, and hopefully you will. Hopefully what I'm about to say, I just had this thought, doesn't cancel out you promoting, helping promote. But I just, I feel like I need to say this. If you just promoted our Easter service, or if you plan on it this week, if somebody goes on your social media page, Will this church be more appealing to them to come or will it want to make them stay away? Think about that. The Bible says let every word we speak, all of our conversations be appealing, be attractive, be seasoned with salt, be gracious. Listen, let me just share something with you. I get it, man. We, we debate about so many things. We have this, we, it's good to have your opinion, but your opinion shouldn't trump influence somebody coming to the Lord. As I said earlier, if you win the debate but lose the person, keep your opinion to yourself. Listen, I know, I know that that's, that might sound hard, but listen, we, we, we got to have eternity in mind, guys. We got to have it because you know what? Debating on our, 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 our political views and on, you know, uh, the, the gun control debate and all that stuff, when all this thing gets wrapped up, that won't matter. The souls that made it to heaven is what's going to matter. 
And we got it. That's why the Bible tells us to focus on the realities of heaven. I'm not saying you can't have an opinion and you can't, you know, share your opinion on that stuff. But just remember, in order to have influence, sometimes it's better to keep our opinions to ourselves so that we can influence somebody else. Right? Amen. Let's look back at the first scripture that we read this morning and last week. It, it's our theme verse for this, for this series. Listen to the, the part of the verse before, uh, before he charges us to influence people. Jeremiah 15, 19. If you speak good words rather than worthless ones, you will be my spokesman. You see that? He's telling Jeremiah that. Then the next verse he says, you must influence them. Don't let them influence you, right? So obviously the Lord made it clear, knowing Jeremiah, hey, listen, I want you to be my spokesman, so you need to speak good words, not worthless ones. We can speak worthless words that doesn't help anybody. As a matter of fact, could turn people off. And the fourth and final thing, be ready with the right response. See, I broke that into two different points, but Paul was going somewhere with that. He, that was actually the same verse, and it says this, let your conversation be gracious and attractive, what we just talked about, so that you will have the right response for everyone, right? So there's a whole purpose in why we're doing this and while I'm saying all of that. Remember that responding and reacting are not the same thing. Usually uh, when we react, well, let me say it this way. I know for me personally, usually when I react instead of responding, it doesn't turn out well. When we react out of anger maybe, out of frustration or not because we don't understand someone, it doesn't, you know, end well. It says to, to, to respond in the right way. Be mindful, pause and think, pray more than anything and ask the Lord to help you to respond. You see, again, having the right response is better than being right. Having the right response is better than being right. We must wait and allow the Holy Spirit to help us to have a Christ-like response. Because the truth is, is that if, if we're, as Pastor Todd said last week, living a sermon, people are going to begin to ask us questions. Actually, some, some translations say, be ready to give to every man an answer for the hope that lies within. You remember we talked about everybody looking for hope. And so people are going to ask us why we're living the way we're living. What's different about you? Why do you do that? Our people hopefully will come to us with, with, uh, with their problems and when they're in tragedy. You know, actually, I was talking to a local musician just this week. And, and he's, he's a born again Christian. And, and he was telling me how in, in his circles where he plays music and whatnot, people come to him all the time and, and, you know, uh, share his, their, their problems, their troubles with them. Matter of fact, one guy said, man, I'm married. I'm dealing with pornography. And he said, I told him, man, one word, Jesus, Jesus. Now that was the right response, right? Now he, I know he further on followed up with him, but you know what? He didn't beat him up. He didn't say, oh, man, you shouldn't be doing that, man. You married, you this and that. No, he offered the solution right away. He had, he, they came to him, and he had the right response. He was ready with the right response. He even said that when he got saved, he prayed and asked the Lord if he should be doing something else and whatnot, and the Lord uh, showed him how he can be influential in the area he was in. Now, he said the places that he plays and stuff have, has changed, and it's different than, than it used to be before he got saved, but still, he's being influential in his line of work. Isn't that awesome? And he's ready with the right response. And he's helped people. He's actually brought people to church that have come to him. So we must be ready with the right response. Now let me, let me caution you too. Because there will be people that are coming to us. And, and Paul was talking about the people that would ask, hey man, what, 
like this guy asked Pastor Chris, man, how can I get this hope? That's the context of what Paul's talking about here. But let me caution you on something else. People will also try and get a negative response out, out of you because they know you're a Christian. See, people will try to trip you up so they can point the finger at you and say, aha, and I thought you were supposed to be a Christian. They'll try to get a negative, should I say, reaction out of you. You know, I told the first service, and that wasn't even in my notes, but I was reminded of when I first got saved and I was still painting for a living, I was trying to witness to this guy. I was trying to influence him. And as I was talking to him, he said, man, you talking about all this Christian stuff that you're a Christian? He said, man, I know you're going straight to hell, and the devil's going to be waiting for you to shake your hand on your way there. And I remember everything in me was like, I wanted to bow up on this dude. You know, I was like, that wouldn't have been the right response. But as I, as I kept working with this guy, I noticed what he was trying to do. He was trying to get a rise out of me. He was trying to get me to, to aha. He was trying to trap me, so to speak. You remember Jesus had the perfect response in John chapter 8, as we read earlier, for the Pharisees that tried to trap him in the situation with the woman. He responded. And, and remember, I love that. And, and there's debates on what he was writing in the stand. But Jesus didn't respond right away. He stooped down. He wrote in the sand. He stood up. He talked to him. He stooped down again. He had the right response. I wonder if Jesus was contemplating, okay, let, let, let me see what I'm going to do here. Father, help me here. I don't know, but you just wonder. You see, he didn't just react and say something. He responded. They tried to trip him up, and he literally left those religious leaders speechless. Every one of them dropped a stone and walked away. They didn't even respond to him. We can do the same. First Peter 3.15 in the message says this. Be ready to speak up and tell anyone who asks you why you're living the way you are and always with the utmost courtesy. See, even if people are not courteous, courteous to you, the Bible tells us to be courteous to them, right? That's the Christ-like way. Remember that the goal is to respond differently than how everybody else responds. See, most people, you know, hey, you curse me out, I'm going to curse you out, Right? You hit me, I'm going to hit you back. Oh, you want to debate, I'm going to go get my facts and I'm going to come back, I'm going to be ready. But you know, the goal is to respond differently than everybody else. And when we begin to respond differently, and like the Bible says, have the right response and be courteous to people, guess what? We gain influence and people want to hear what we have to say. Oh, wait, man, I cursed this guy out and he, he's still smiling at me. Why are you doing that, man? What's wrong with you, you know? People are going to know, again, what's different about us and want to know. Remember, guys, that the goal and gals is to influence people in a way that leads them to Christ. Amen. So I pray that the Lord would increase all of our influence, that we have the balance to stand firm in the truths, the biblical truths and in convictions that we have in our lives and still love well and accept people where they at. And we do it by living wisely, having gracious, compelling speech, and being ready to have the right response. Amen? Why don't you go ahead and stand up with me? You know, the truth is, everybody, that everybody influences somebody. Did you know that? Everybody influences somebody. Even if you don't know it, somebody's watching you. Somebody's watching you. For us parents, we know our children are watching, right? We can say, how many of y'all heard growing up, don't do what I do, do what I say? Have you anybody heard that before? If you ever said that as a parent, that doesn't work. Kids are going to do what they see you do, right? So even if we're not saying anything to anyone, they're watching us. So we're influencing everyone, whether it be negative or positive. I pray that if we're not already, 
that we begin to influence people in a positive way, influence them into a saving relationship with Christ. As parents, influence our children in a great way. As dads, those of us that are dads, husbands, leaders of our homes, that we're influencing our, our, our spouses and our children in a godly way to be more like Jesus. So let's ask the Lord right now to increase our influence. Why don't you bow with me and let's pray. Father, we pray in Jesus' name that, Lord, wherever we're at in our level of influence, I pray that it would increase, Father. I pray that you help each and every one of us as born-again believers to, 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 to live wisely like balanced believers, Lord, that we stand firm in your truths of, of the Word of God, of the gospel, that we don't compromise the truths that you've laid out since the beginning of time. You said heaven and earth will pass away, but your word will never pass away. Lord, we know as long as the, the, the culture changes, your word's not going to change. Help us to hold fast to the truths, but to love, accept, and extend grace to people as we're presenting these truths to them and as we're loving on them, showing them, reflecting them, Lord. Help us to use the John chapter 8 model, Lord God, with everyone that we deal with, Father. Now, Lord, help us, Lord, to, to, to have gracious, Lord God, a speech, Lord, attractive speech, Lord, that we, Lord, have uh, our words are compelling. We have compelling conversations that we, we think before we speak. We pray before we speak. Lord, help us to make the most of every opportunity. Even today, as people go out to lunch in the, in the restaurants or wherever they go, Lord, give them opportunity to shine their light and to love on people, Lord. And I pray, Lord, help us to be ready. To, be, to have the right response for everyone, Lord. In Jesus' name. Now, while your head's still bowed and eyes are still closed, I want to pray for another group of people. This message is, is, is primarily to the believers in here. The last two weeks, last week and this week, you've been hearing us talk about believers and non-believers. And we're talking about those that have believed and trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ to save them, to help them, through this life and to spend eternity with him again we talked about it earlier about needing surgery we all need uh, soul surgery the bible says in romans that we've all sinned every single person in this room has sinned and fall short of god's glorious standard and the bible says that the wages of sin is death but the free gift of god is eternal life through christ jesus so jesus christ came down died on the cross to pay for our sins and to make a way for our sins. So if you're not sure you're a believer, you want to know how to do this. Romans again, chapter 10 and verse 9 and 10 says this. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and listen, you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you're made right with God and it's confessing with your mouth that you are saved. That word believe that we've been talking about means to trust. You've heard me say it. It's like if you jumped out of a plane with a parachute on your back, you would trust that parachute to save your life. That's the same picture here. It's trusting in Christ that he's going to save us from our sin here on this earth and in eternity. The Bible makes it clear. When we, when we close our eyes and breathe our last, we're going to spend eternity either in heaven or hell. There's no in between. But Jesus loves us so much that he came and he died on the cross so everyone can spend eternity with him. So do me a favor again, if, if you're not already, every head bowed, every eye closed, with all the believers praying, I want to ask you, are you ready for eternity? If you say, Brandon, I don't know if I'm a believer, 
I come to church once in a while, maybe even grew up in church, but I'm not sure I'm a believer. Maybe you're like those people in Jeremiah. You knew the Lord at one time, but you've turned your back on Christ. You've turned your back on the Lord, but you're back today and you say, man, I need to get back right with God. If that's you and you say, I want to become a believer today. I want to give my life to Christ. I want you to just slip up your hand. Nobody's looking around and we're going to pray for you. I see your hand, ma'am. Anybody else? Anyone else? Ma'am, I see your hand back over here. Thank you, Jesus. Hands going up. Anyone else? We're going to wait on you. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Anybody else say, I need to, I see your hand, ma'am, over here in the middle. Thank you, Jesus. Anybody else? Thank you, Lord. Come on, the Lord's saving people right now, responding to their belief. I see your hand in the back. Thank you, Jesus. See your hand, sir, over here. Thank you, Father. Anybody else? Come on, we're not in a hurry. This, this is the most important thing right here we've been talking about for two weeks. People coming to know Christ. Anybody else? Okay, all of you that raised your hands, and maybe some of you that haven't, but your heart's pounding, and you know you need to to, to get right with God today. We're going to do what Romans tells us to do. I'm going to just lead you in a simple prayer. And we're all going to pray this together. Lord Jesus, I thank you for loving me. I thank you for dying for me. I thank you for the gift of salvation. Lord, I know that I've sinned, and I ask that you forgive me of my sins. I accept your free gift and I make you my Lord and Savior. Now give me the grace and give me the strength to live for you all the days of my life and now help me, Lord, to have influence to lead others to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. Come on, let's give God some glory. Yes, amen. Amen. Hey, for those of you that raised your hands, and pray that prayer for the first time, or maybe you didn't raise your hand, or you've prayed the prayer uh, again, then maybe it's been a while. There's a card in the pew in front of you that says, I made a decision. It only takes a few seconds. Do us a favor, fill that card out, and bring it to the lobby and info center. We want to help you get going on your journey. We want to give you a Bible and just help you get connected as you move forward. For the rest of us, hey, let's increase our influence. Let's ask the Lord to help us. Invite some people to Easter, and we're going to help populate heaven. On, have as much time we have left here. Amen? God bless y'all. Y'all have a wonderful day.